If you don't remember anything else I said today, remember climb and maintain. If it's turbulent and there's trouble, go higher. Don't sit there. The devil is breathing down your neck. He's right where he's supposed to be. Because the Bible says you ought to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Please be seated, you all. Thank you so I'm, much. I'm still and on that song. We go from glory to glory <laughs> to glory. We're going to keep going. Forever change. That's so good. Well, we're going to talk for a few minutes, then I'll turn Tyler loose. I won't right, stay up here the whole time. I want to talk about this chair. Uh, <laughs> I want you to get some size appropriate chairs for people like me and John Gray. So we'll have some. <laughs> So we don't have to squeeze in and hope that we hold up here. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, Tyler. Can I say thank you for having me here? Oh, thank you so awesome much. To I'm, have you. I'm absolutely honored. Awesome to have you. Well, you. thank you. I, I, I get a kick because I can't help it, Tyler, because I do this to you every time. I, whenever I look at you, I think of Medea. I can't help it. But, but let, me, let me ask you this. I did a radio interview with Tyler. I asked him, I said something about coming to Lakewood. Do you remember how you answered as Medea? As soon as you get a smoking section, I'll be right there somewhere in the back. I don't know why y'all ain't got no smoking section for people who like to smoke. They want to know God, just put a smoking section in the back next to a bar and we'll sit there all day and listen to you, listen to you. <laughs> well, somehow we got you here without yeah, the smoking section, but anyway. That's right, she's not coming until you get one. She's not you, get one. you want to reach the lost, put in the smoking section, man, come on. <laughs> Well, Tyler, you know, we all know you, as like I said in, when I introduced you, you know, your films, your movies, we all see that, but it didn't start off like that for you. You didn't necessarily come from a functional family. No. And I'd, I'd like to go back and, you know, I was very moved when we did the interview on Sirius about how you got underneath the porch when you're a little boy to escape the pain and you told stories and your, your imagination. Can you share a little bit about your upbringing? Yeah, well, well, you know, it's, it's, it was a very, very difficult time. I um, was a child that was born to two wounded parents, and they were wounded children themselves. My mother was uh, 17, and my father was about 19 when they got married. And I came along when, when she was 24 years old. And there was a lot of pain in the house. There were a lot of arguments. He, would, he was very physically abusive and verbally abusive to the both of us. It was, it was really a difficult and, and very hard um, time, especially for a man-child. I don't know what it's like for a little girl, but I'm sure it's just as painful. But for a boy-child, a man-child, to watch his mother being beaten and belittled, it was really, really hard. So I went under the house and I built this little, uh, put some wood up in, in between some of the pillars and built this little uh, safe place for me. And I painted it robin egg blue. I had found some, some paint somewhere, painted it blue, and I would sit in this room and I would let my imagination take me to other places. I would, I would just, be somewhere running through grass and trees while I'm listening to all of the pain and all of the heartache up above me in the floorboards. So it was a very difficult time. But the beauty in that moment, and I say this to people all the time, is that I, I know that all things work together for you good. When I, when I am writing a script or a movie or writing the have and have nots or if, if loving you is wrong or writing any of these shows or the movies, in my imagination, I go to a place where I'm in that world. And that was formed and born inside of all that pain. So the little boy's imagination is where the man goes now to, to feed his dreams. So it's a beautiful thing when you know that all things are gonna work together for your good. God was getting yeah. you prepared yeah. even back there. Yeah. And so we'll jump around a little bit. 
Tyler, you know, you graduated from high school, you had the dream for the play, but it wasn't easy and doors didn't necessarily open. And, and I love the thing about the, the hurricane in, in South Carolina. Can you share some of, just some of that? Yeah, it was, uh, I started doing this play after watching the Oprah Winfrey show. She said it was cathartic to write things down. Now, I didn't know what cathartic meant, so I had to go find a dictionary, substandard <laughs> high school. I went and found a dictionary and I started writing things down in this journal and I was using different characters' names because if someone found it, I didn't want them to know that I had been through the things that I was talking about. I was talking about adult survivors of child abuse at the time. So in 1993 or so, I moved to Atlanta. I moved to 92, and 93 I decided to put the play up. Worked, saved money. Uh, my tax returns from H&R Block did everything I could to put this show up. And uh, I spent all my money. It was a 200-seat theater. I thought we would do all of these different shows over the weekend, and 1,200 people would show up, and only 30 did. So I lost everything I had, uh, my car payment, everything was tied up in it. And it was a very, very difficult time because I know I felt led to do this show about adult survivors of child abuse who had forgiven their abusers. Mm -hmm. I, I, out of the 30 people, and I knew every one of them in the room, uh, <laughs> there was somebody who said, this really touched me and I want to invest. That's how you know when God is doing something for you because he'll put you on a path and just when you think you're at the end, Somebody or someone will show up and say, hey, here, here's, here's another opportunity over here. So from about uh, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, we did this play once a year everywhere uh, in these little small towns outside of Atlanta, and they never worked. They never worked. Every time I'd go, something would happen. I'd go get a job, and I'd go, you know, after I'd work on the job, for a couple of weeks, I get a call saying, hey, Tyler, we want to try the play somewhere else. And I go to my boss and I say, listen, I, I, I need two weeks off to go do this play. He's like, man, you've just been working here two weeks. How do you think you can get two weeks off? And I go back to my desk and I sit and I pray and I was like, okay, God, I know I just got this job. I know I just did the play, it didn't work. I got another opportunity here. If this is you telling me, make it plain, what should I do? And I hear this voice say, quit. Now, I'm not telling you to go quit your job. I'm telling you my story. Quit your job, send me your bill. Say, you told me to quit. No, no, that's not, how, that's not what I'm saying. So, so there I was, stepping out on faith, leaving a job that I knew that this money was going to come in from week to week to go out and do this play because I heard the voice of God. So I remember every time I'd go out to do the show, it wouldn't work. It wasn't successful. And I'm like, God, I know you told me to do this. And when I'd pray, I'd hear nothing. That same voice that said, quit, I heard nothing which was a very difficult time for me, very difficult. And I remember the, the time that you're talking about was in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I had gotten another job, because I had more job. Man, I had about 20 jobs during this time. I'd gotten another job, asked the boss, he said no, I heard the voice quit. I go out, do the show, and I'm driving there, and there's a hurricane headed toward Spartanburg. Hurricane. I'm like, like God, I know you control the wind and the, the waves, but you told me to quit, and now nobody's gonna show up. So, I lost everything, homeless, sleeping in my car, following God. When you follow God, sometimes things get tough, they get tight. But if you keep pushing just on the other side of when you think it's the darkest, something miraculous will happen that will change your life. Something will open up that will blow your mind. So it was 1998, and I, and I got an opportunity to do the show again, and it was at the House of Blues. And I was like, I don't know, I'm, I'm done. I'm gonna do like my mother said. My mother, who loved me dearly, loved me dearly. She, I had, <laughs> we were doing a play at that Spartanburg trip, and I couldn't afford to pay the credit card because she had rented a van. 
for us. And that bill was $300. And $300 to my mother was like $30 million. I'm, let me tell you something. My mother loved me to death, sweet, wonderful woman, but she would cuss you out and beat you up and then pray for you as she taking you to the hospital. That's the kind of person she, kind of person she was. So we were sitting in the house and she was saying, listen, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of you doing these plays. Just stop it. Just stop it. I'm tired of you crying about it. And the woman loved me, loved me, loved me more than anything. She said, you know what? Just give it up. Just go get your job working at the phone company. You're never going to make it with these plays. Just go get a job at the phone company. I was sitting there in tears when she was saying it to me. She turned around and she saw me because I was sitting behind her on the sofa and the blood drained from her face. And she said, baby, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't know how important this was for you. But what I want you to understand is that I don't care how many people love you and encourage you or the ones that try to tear you down or destroy you. When God has a dream for you, it is your dream. Your dream. Your dream. And there are people who love you who would think that they're saying the right things to you to try to protect you. Or there are people that have been, been, that have been in your lives and watched you grow up and they don't know what God has put down inside of you because they think they're too familiar with you. But what you have to understand is when God has something for you, you have to go for it fully. Fully. So, so that's what I did. I did the show. We go to, we, 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 I get this opportunity to do the show in 1998. It's at the House of Blues. And I walk in and I'm mad. And I'm angry because all those years, those seven years of me trying to get this play up, nothing was happening. God would tell me to quit, then he'd get me out there and he'd leave me. You'd leave me out here by myself. God, where are you? You wouldn't even talk to me during these dark times. So I was mad. I was done. I had went to get my application at South Central Bell, like my mother said, and go to work at the phone company. I wanted some benefits to get my teeth fixed. <laughs> so, there I, so there I am. There I am, 19, 1998, get this opportunity at the House of Blues, and I walk in and they're all just, they call it folk art all over the walls. I'm from New Orleans, I said, that's voodoo, and I'm not performing here, get it off the walls. So they, they told me the next day, well, House of Blues was pulling out, so House of Blues was gone. So the name of the place would return to its original name. It was a church, it was called the Tabernacle. So I was about to perform in a place called the Tabernacle. I go and I do the show and I'm complaining all the way. I'm there putting on my makeup, getting ready to play the old man Joe and I've got attitude. I'm just mad, I'm upset. I'm like, I don't wanna do this. And I hear that voice, that one that told me to quit, say, shut up. <laughs> Let me tell you something, when God tells you shut up, you sit around and what, what, what happened? <laughs> and he said, get up and look out the window. I got up and looked out of this little dusty window and there was a line around the corner trying to get in the building. And, the place sold out over and over and over again. And I said, God, where were you in all those times? He said, I was proving you to see that you would honor this, that you would do the right thing with it. Sometimes when you're not hearing from God, God is trying to see what you're going to do in the situation that you're in. And it turned out to be an incredible moment that has taken me from that sold out house all the way until every show that we've done. It's been incredible. It's been miraculous. It's been nothing but God, and I'm grateful for it. That's so awesome. That's, Tyler, another important part of the story, jump back there a little bit because your father didn't yeah. treat you right, a lot yeah. of bitterness, anger. Can you tell about how something broke there when you? Yeah, what, what broke in the moment, if, if you wonder what happened, like from the time when I started doing these shows to the time when they started to take off, what broke in the moment? Well, here I was with this script about adult survivors of child abuse whose, whose parents had abused them. And the, the characters in the show that I had written 
from my own mind, had forgiven their abusers, but I hadn't forgiven my father. So one day we were on the phone before this show sold out, before everything changed, we were on the phone and I got a chance to just say everything that was on my mind because I wasn't the little boy anymore. I was a six foot six man and I wasn't afraid. And I started saying everything that I needed to say to him. And the things that came out of my mouth blew my mind. But at the end of it, what I heard was, I forgive you. I said, I forgive you to him. And something shifted in me, something shifted. Let me tell you something, forgiveness is so incredibly powerful. Forgiveness is not for the other person, it is for you. There are people living their lives who've done you wrong, they are happy walking down the street not even thinking about you, but there you are holding on to unforgiveness. When I forgave this man, I found myself trying to, I was lost for a second because my entire fuel was based on the negativity of not forgiving him. But once I forgave him, I had to find a way to find another source of fuel. So the negativity and all the darkness that I'd been through was the source. Now I needed a more positive source. Now I needed a good source, a pure source. It's like, it's like taking a car that runs on diesel and putting regular gasoline in it. And then all of a sudden you say drive and something's gonna go wrong. So you have to rework all the components inside of your mind to be able to understand how to function in positivity. So that shift for me was so incredible. Forgiveness did all of that for me. And the minute I did that, the minute I started to function and doing the right thing and being positive, I went from nobody coming to the show to not having enough seats for the people to get into the places. Wow. Powerful. Yeah. I went up a few months ago, Tyler, and we toured your, your facility, your studio. You bought 300 acres, the old army base. And, Fort McPherson, yeah. Yeah, tell us about that. And, and, and then about, I love the, about the entries, about what you did there. Yeah. Just First off, it's a, it's a place, it's a studio where he's got 20, probably 20 big studios where they shoot some of the biggest shows that we see on television today. Well, Tyler remodeled it. It's a, it's a magnificent place, but tell us a little bit about the, that other part. The, the, uh, I, I, I was telling Pastor Joel this, when you come to the studio, when you drive in, there's only, there's only a couple of ways to get in, but when you drive in, you have to go through the gates. And what we did at the gates were we buried Bibles. So in order to come into the facility, you got to come over the word. Yeah, yeah. And when you leave out, you got to do the same. So you're blessed going and coming. And, and we put them under the foundations of all of the sound stages and people, you, you should see people who don't know God, it's so funny. They're sitting around going, there's something very different about this place. It's, the atmosphere here is really cool, don't you think? I said, mm, yeah, yeah, I know. You can come stand right here for a little bit and tell me how cool it is. <laughs> tell me, Tyler, um, the old buildings there about uh, the, the presidents that say in the letter you found. I, um, all of these, this, let me tell you how, how wonderful this country is. I don't care what's going on in the country. This, this is a wonderful country. I, I, and, and the beauty of this moment, me being invited here, looking at all your faces, all different races sitting here together, serving one God, that's all that matters, the one God that we serve. The reason, the reason I brought that up is because here was an army base that was established 20 years after the abolishment of slavery. That was once a Confederate army base that I now own. I mean, the miracle in that alone, the miracle in that alone. Some of these houses were built in the 1800s and, and uh, President Roosevelt stayed there, Colin Powell stayed there. 
And we were doing some cleanup on one of them. They're beautiful houses, but some of them had some asbestos. So we brought in an asbestos team to remove it. And we had, um, after they left out, my cleaning crew went in from the studio and they moved this cabinet that was, had been there for many, many years and something fell out. It was a letter. They brought the letter to me and I started reading it. When I read it, I got tears in my eyes because what I realized is that this letter was written to me. But the letter was written October 29, 1969 by a 13-year-old boy in Atlanta, Georgia. He goes on to tell all these stories in the letter and he's writing it about his, where he's come from, the country's at war, Nixon is the president. He's saying all this stuff, but there's one line in that really caught my attention. He said, I know this sounds silly, but I've always wanted to write a letter to the future. So he wrote the letter October 29, 1969. Well, I was born September 14, 1969. So I had only been on the planet six weeks. I'm there in my mother's arms in New Orleans and there's a little 13-year-old boy at Fort McPherson Army Base in Atlanta writing a letter to the future that I would find 48 years later. And I realized I am the future that he was writing to. And it came at a time when I was going through some things and I had to make some decisions about the studio and I, I, it, just, it blew my mind because there I was in this moment understanding that God had already ordained this even before I got to the planet. It was so powerful for me so powerful and so wonderful. And, and I just felt so blessed and so fortunate. I still, still have a letter and I have it framed. And every time I'm going through something or deal with something, I walk past it and I'm reminded, God's got it, God's got it. Everything's all right, God's got it, yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Tell her somebody asked you about all your failures, you know, explain yeah. that. Yeah, somebody, I, this shocked a few people. They said, let's talk about your failures. I said, I don't have any. And, and I tell you why, I tell you why I say that. I tell you why I say that. Because when you know that everything in your life is gonna to work together for your good. Listen, I look, I look back on all the things in my life that I thought that should have been a failure, that should have been a failure, that should have been. But when I really analyzed it, I realized those were teaching moments, those were molding moments, those were moving moments. And I realized, had that not happened, I wouldn't have been ready for this moment. Or had that situation not gone on, I wouldn't have been ready to go here. Had I not been able to live at that altitude, I wouldn't have been able to stand at this altitude. So what happened to me, as I look back on all those moments, I, could, I don't call them failures. I call them the grace of God because it had brought me right where I needed to be. I love right it. Where I He's directing our steps. Right I love it. where I needed to be. All right. Shift gears a minute. Where did Medea come from? Oh, Lord. <laughs> You jump one I big I can't find right her there. in the Bible. No, you can't find her in the Bible. You won't find anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> Medea, I have an aunt who lives here in Houston, and, uh, and her name is uh, Maola Sivaran. And her, she and my mother, they're a cross between, Medea's a cross between both of those ladies. And you wouldn't want to run to, into either one of them in a dark alley late at night because you try to snatch their purse, you're going to get snatched up. But, 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 they, but I saw Eddie Murphy do his hand at, you know, playing an old woman in the clumps, and I said, okay, I'm gonna try my hand at it, and that's where this character was born. But the power of it, as silly as it is, as silly as it is, there's a power in it. Here's the power in it. It was the anesthetic that I used to make people laugh, to get to some very serious subject matter. People found themselves coming into these, into these arenas and laughing, laughing really hard, and then I started talking about forgiveness. 
They're laughing really hard. I started talking about getting over pain and molestation and rape, all the things that are plaguing us as a society that we were ignoring and that weren't getting any attention. So I found that if I can make you laugh, I can use this as a teachable moment. So it became very, very important to me. As much as I don't like doing the character, I realize what it has done for many people. And I got, I got a letter from someone. This is one, I got plenty of them, but this one was really powerful. It's about a woman who said she was gonna commit suicide. So she got her kids together and she went to a hotel and she wanted to spend the last day with them. She said, we're gonna do whatever you guys wanna do. Whatever you wanna do, we'll do. And she sent me this letter. This is before Facebook and all these other things. So I get this letter and she's talking about what they wanted to do. They decided they wanted to see a Tyler Perry play. So she went and found one on bootleg. She brought it back to the hotel and they washed it. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. And they washed it. Don't, but y'all don't buy bootleg, I know, I know. <laughs> But they watched it, and what happened was, as, as she was watching it, she started to laugh, and she started to be healed. And she sent me this letter saying, I no longer want to die. I feel like I can live and move on after seeing this place. So good. Yeah. Last thing, last thing, Tyler, and I'll step down. I want to turn it over to you for your message. But, uh, you know, somebody's trying to, we're all trying to reach dreams today, and it's not easy, and, and you've, you know, you've, you've, you've hit the success, but... Give, some, give us some encouragement. What's, what's a final thought for us on this section? I just, listen, don't give up. Don't, I know this sounds simple, but don't give up. If you go to bed with it and you wake up with it and you can't shake it, you go get a job and that dream is still in the back of your head. You, you're working for somebody else, but that dream is still in the back of your head. You're getting up every morning, five in the morning, going on somebody else's job. Let me tell you something, honor that person that you're working for. Listen, listen, because when, you when, you, when you're faithful over someone else's, God will give you your own. So make sure you honor the person that you're working for. But at, but at the same time, don't give up. The mantra at the studio, at my studio is, a place where even dreams believe. Because it, when I think about Joseph, he went through so much before he, became, he got into his promise. He was in jail, he got all these things happened to him. But, but when it got really bad, and he gave up, or wanted to give up, the dream reminded him that he can go on. So if it's in you, and you can't shake it, and you dream about it, and when you want to walk away from it, you still dream, that's God telling you to keep going. And if I can tell you anything else, please keep going. There are people who, whose lives and destiny are tied into you. Just think, had you stopped, all of these people, where would we be going to worship and hear a positive message? Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, don't stop, keep going, no matter what anybody says, you are worth it. And here's the thing about worthy, get to worthy. Whatever you do, get to worthy. What does that mean? Understand that you are worth it. You deserve the good things. If God said it, you deserve it, and he did. His thoughts of you are pure, and he wants to give you a hope. I, you, you better grab me right now, because I'm getting ready to go somewhere on this thing right here. <laughs> go ahead, but, it's yours. But, but just don't give up. I. Um, I am grateful to be here, and thank you for that moment, um, Pastor Joel. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for the in invitation to be here. It's, um, it's really, really powerful to stand here in front of so many people. Lakewood, you have been really kind to me all weekend. I am grateful for that. And Pastor Joel, Pastor Victoria, thank you for allowing me to come into your space because when you, have, when you invite somebody to come and speak to your folks, you gotta know what, who, what they're about and what's going on. So I'm, I'm grateful that you've given this opportunity. We talked about Medea earlier, and a lot of people know me as Medea, but there's something that a lot of people don't know that I wanna share with you. About 30 years ago, when I was about 17, 18 years old, I went to seminary school. I was a minister in my church. I would pray and I would, I would uh, 
encourage people. And I got up to do my first sermon. Didn't go over so well. <laughs> I got up there and started to, thought I was preaching. And the pastor comes behind me, he said, well, if God called you, he would qualify you. And I don't think he, <laughs> I don't know if he qualified him. So, so I was very, very happy. I went home and prayed. I said, God, what is going on? He said, well, that's not where you're going to minister. You're not going to do that. That's, you won't be in the pulpit. And I said, oh, thank God. <laughs> because, you know, you look at people like Pastor Joel, if you step on his foot, he's going to pray for you. You step on mine, I'm going to punch you. <laughs> you mess around and hit this bunion, you're really going to be in trouble. But, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm grateful for, for the opportunity of understanding what I was supposed to do. God, and I, when, I, when I prayed, God showed me my ministry would come through movies and television. And, and listen, just because I'm a Christian who makes movies, don't, don't think that all my movies are going to be Christian. Sometimes they'll be sci-fi. Sometimes they'll be rated R. They'll be all over the place because I'm an artist. I want to tell all kinds of stories. But what is important to me is that as I'm telling stories, that there is a message of hope that people take with them. So, so if you guys can understand that and appreciate that with me, I, I'm grateful for it. We talk about this moment where, where I was trying to get the career off the ground, then all of a sudden it started taking off. And I was in demand everywhere. We were selling out. We couldn't add any more seats to the theater. I was doing 350, 60, 70 shows a year. Just wouldn't stop. Just performance after performance after performance. And something was happening. You ever find yourself in a moment where everything is going great and then all of a sudden you get anxiety about something? I found myself having great anxiety about being able to fly. I was a very, very nervous flyer, you know, coming from a kid who had nothing, who had never been on a plane to 20-something years old, putting me on my first plane, and I didn't understand it. I was scared to death. I get on the plane with my oil. <laughs> I had a friend named Nita. She gave me oil, just oil. She would just pray over it, and oh, I had olive oil all over myself, just <laughs> anointing the door as I'm going in, anointing every seat. People coming behind me going, what is this all over the place? Get to my seat, we take off. Flight attendant come on and say the stuff. They say, I didn't hear none of it. I was just holding on, holding on, holding on. We take off, I'm white knuckled. You have not seen white knuckles until you see a black man with white knuckles holding on to something. So there I was, in demand, but afraid to fly. Then the horror of 9-11 happened and I stopped flying altogether. I said, I can't do it anymore. I started taking my bus everywhere. So I was on the bus and my promoters and the people in my business folk were like, Tyler, my agent, like, what do you mean? You're, you're coming to California on a bus? Yeah. How long does that take? I don't know, four days. <laughs> you know how much time you're wasting? You don't want to get on a plane and just come? No, no, no. I can't do it. I can't do it. So finally, I was, one day I was running in the park. I said, God, I got to do something. I'm getting all this demand, and this is hindering the blessing that you've given me. It's hindering me because I'm afraid to fly. So what I did was I'm running in the park one day, and I'm exercising, and I see this little plane in the air, and it's, it's being tossed around. And I immediately start praying for the people on the plane. I say, Lord, have mercy, help them, Lord, all that turbulence, help them. Jesus, Shabbat, oh, she's Shabbat, Jesus. You know it's bad when you call Jesus and Shabbat at the same time. And then the plane gets lower and lower, and then all of a sudden it comes down and lands. I realize it's a toy. <laughs> There's a man flying a remote control airplane in the park. 
And I said, you know what, I'm gonna go buy one of those. Maybe that's what I need to be all right. So I go and I go to the hobby shower and I said, okay, let me have one of these. I don't read the instructions, I don't do any of that. Just like a man, just take it home, take it out of the box, take off, boom, crash, two seconds. Did nothing to help me. Went back the next day, bought another one. Boom, same thing. About the fourth or fifth time I went, the old guy that worked there, he said, son, you got more money than sense. <laughs> said, come here, sit on the simulator, let me show you how this works. And he started explaining to me how an airplane works, how the wings have lift in the airfoil, and how there's an aileron that goes right and left, and there's an elevator that goes up and down to make the plane go up and down. Then there's yawing and all this stuff. And as I was learning, I got fascinated. So I bought them and started flying, and I was like, yeah, I got it now, I got it. I'm gonna be able to fly. So I started flying again. Then I said, you know what, I'm gonna get my pilot's license. So one day I'm walking into an airport and I see this little plane. It uh, looks like a little Volkswagen with wings. <laughs> it was called a Cirrus. And they were explaining to me what's great about the Cirrus is that if you get in trouble, there's a parachute. You pull a handle inside, a rocket shoots out in a parachute, it lets the whole plane come to the ground. I said, yep, that's the one I want. That's the one I'm gonna fly on right there. So I called the salesman and we go up and he takes me up and I've never been in a plane this small. They took me up early in the morning. The air was smooth, wonderful, it was great. We're taking off, I was like, wow, this is really nice. He said, you wanna try the yoke? I'm like, sure, no white knuckles. I'm just taking the yoke, planes moving from left to right. I was like, okay, I'll buy it. Called him the next day, I said, you know what, let's go up again just so I'm, I'm sure and comfortable. He said, okay, well, I only have a slot in the afternoon. So we go up in noon. Now, if you know anything about flying, the middle of the day in the heat and the thermals is not very comfortable. So we take off and we're in the heat and thermals and the plane is bouncing around. I mean bouncing, a little plane, and I am having a fit. I'm like, uh, we gonna have to land. He's like, no, 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 just stay. I'm like, nope, nope, land, Shaba, I can't do it. Land, <laughs> land, land, I need my feet on land. He said, hold on just a minute. Air traffic control comes over in a headset and the lady says, 378 Golf Lima, climb and maintain 6,500 feet. So he pushes the throttle, hit the elevator up, the plane goes up, we go up. And we break through this layer where all of this turbulence was happening. Then all of a sudden we got to a place where everything was smooth. All because somebody said climb and maintain. Climb and maintain. Climb and maintain. With that in mind, I'd like to go to the scripture, if you don't mind. Those of you who have your Bibles, turn with me to Vic Jody, the 21st chapter and the 16th verse of Vic Jody. If you have it, say amen. Uh, why y'all laughing? Oh, because you know there's no Vic Jody in the Bible? I'm glad, because that Saturday night crowd wasn't too sure. They were looking for it. They were looking for it. <laughs> Big Jody, that's a cross between Victoria, Joel, and Mama Doty, and they were looking for it in the Bible, it was something. <laughs> but seriously, I'd like to go to Genesis, the 22nd chapter, Genesis 22nd chapter. And it reads as follows, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here am I. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell of thee. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled the donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. 
Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the donkeys, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the first, he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, he said, Father, my father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God told them of. And Abraham built an altar and laid the wood in the order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon thy lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Today I want to talk to you about anxiety. Anxiety. I look at this scripture and I, I see Isaac, who is a young man at the time, from theologians and historians say he's about 13, into, from 13 into his 20s. And he is walking up to a higher place with this father, his father, a man that he trusts, that he loves, that he respects. His father is leading him to a higher place. And as he's walking up, Isaac says, Abraham, daddy, father, I see the burnt offering. I, I, I see the wood, sorry, I see the wood. I see the fire, but where is the offering? Meaning, I see the knife, I see the wood, I see all the tools for a sacrifice, but where is the sacrifice itself? I see the knife, I see the wood, I see the fire, but where is the sacrifice? He's got anxiety about it. I can imagine, he's got anxiety. Like, what is going on here? We're going up to this place, and I see all these things that are about to take me out of here, or could take me out of here, or could take the offering for the animal out of here, but why are we in this moment? So I wanted to talk to you about anxiety. Like those of you who are dealing with things, walking through situations in this life, you're married, things are going great, then all of a sudden something happens. Person wants a divorce. You thought you would live your life forever with this person and all of a sudden the very person that you thought would be there forever is about to leave and you see the knife, you see the wood, you see the fire, but you're wondering, are you the sacrifice? You've got children that you're raising and everything seemed to be fine when they were younger, but now they're at a place where they're a little bit older and they're doing things that you couldn't even imagine. And you're worried. They've got addictions, they've got things going on and you're wondering, God, what is going on? You see the knife, you see the wood, you see the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Those dreamers in here who are trying to build a dream, Everything seems to be going fine and all of a sudden you hear something. There's a rumbling, something is happening that is trying to, to distract you. You see the knife, you see the wood, you see the fire. You've got anxiety, you can't sleep. 
You're tossing and turning all night long, wondering what is going on. God, what is going on in this moment? What is going on? What is happening right now? I've been there. It's a very difficult place when you know that you've got anxiety all over you. So as I look at this text and I see Isaac wondering, is he the sacrifice? I came here to tell you some good news. If you are in this place and you are wondering if you are the sacrifice, I came to tell you that you are not. You are not the sacrifice. God did not bring you this far to leave you. You are not about to die. You are not about to lose everything. You are not the sacrifice. How do I know that? In the very next verse, Abraham answers Isaac. He says, God himself will provide the sacrifice. So here in this moment in the Old Testament, they are under the law, so they needed the blood of a lamb for the atonement of sin. Us today, we are under grace. So the blood of Jesus atones for our sins. So Jesus was already the sacrifice. So let me ask you something. Since God himself provided the sacrifice and was the sacrifice, why are you having so much anxiety nailing yourself to a cross that Jesus has already risen from? What do you do in this moment, though, now that you know you're not the sacrifice? What do you do? How do you get past it? How do you get past this anxiety? How do you rest? How do you have peace? How do you, what do you do? And that is in the scripture for me as I was reading. This is what made me think about it. Abraham tells his servants, stay here, and me and Isaac are going to go up and worship. He saw a mountain that God had led him to, so he was going to go up and worship. So they were going to climb. They were going to go up and they were going to climb and they were going to maintain. They were going to worship. Climb and maintain. The climbing is the prayer and the worship is maintaining. So what do you do with anxiety? You climb and maintain. It's turbulent. You go higher. You climb. You pray. You maintain. You worship. You pray and you worship. You climb and maintain. You pray and worship. You climb and maintain. You pray and worship. Listen to me. Turn to somebody right now and tell them you are not the sacrifice. I want to tell you something. Go home and get you some rest tonight because understanding that you are not the sacrifice, all you have to do is climb and maintain. All you have to do to get rid of the anxiety is to pray and to worship. What, what prayer, simple prayer. Prayer is talking to God, just having a conversation with him. God, I need you. God, I need you to be with me right now. God, I need you to walk me through this thing. God, I need you to be by my side. Please, Father, in the name of Jesus, stay with me. Let your blood be with me, O Lamb of God. Thank you right now. Lord, increase my territory. Let your hand of favor stay with me. Keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. You've got to pray, and that is the climb. And then the maintain is the worship. God, you're wonderful. How I love your name. How excellent are you, O Lamb of God. You have no rival. You have no equal. You are the only true and living God. God, thank you for everything you've ever done for me. God, I worship you only you can. You've got to climb and maintain, and you've got to read the Word. You've got to get into some of those Psalms where you really understand that God is on your side. Psalms 91 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Surely he will deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noiseless pestilence. A thousand shall fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me. Yes, sir. Only with mine eyes will I behold and see the reward of the wicked because I have made the Lord, which is the most high, my habitation. Therefore, no evil shall befall me, neither shall any plague come near my dwelling. For he will give his angels charge over me to keep me in all of my ways. They will bear me up in their hands lest I dash my foot against the stone. I will tread on the lion, the adder, and the young lion, and the dragon shall I trample under my feet. You've got to get the word inside it. You've got to believe that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe it. You've got to climb and maintain. You've got to climb and maintain. If you don't remember anything else I said today, remember climb and maintain. If it's turbulent and there's trouble, go higher. Don't sit there. If the devil is breathing down your neck, he's right where he's supposed to be. Because the Bible says you ought to say, get thee behind me, Satan. But if you want him to flee, just submit to God and resist him and he's got to flee. I've never seen anybody in the presence of God worshiping and praising and the devil was able to stay. If you want him to flee, you got to pray, praise and worship. You got to pray and worship. You got to climb and maintain. You got to get into the word of God. And here's how I know that it's going to be all right. The first five words of this text simply says, and it came to pass, which means whatever you're going through did not come to stay. You're going to be all right. Abraham told his servants, stay here. This is the thing that blew my mind. Stay here. And we're going to go up and worship. But there's a little part of the verse where he says, and we will return to you. Well, Abraham, if you're going up to sacrifice your son, how do you know you're coming back with your son? When you have that kind of trust and that kind of faith in God, I don't care what it looks like, it's gonna be all right. And Abraham turned and he named the place Jehovah Jireh, meaning God will provide. So the very thing you're worried about, don't worry about it because God will provide. But Tyler, you don't understand. It's been difficult. It's been hard. God will provide. But Tyler, you don't understand. I love my wife and my husband. This has been really difficult, but you don't understand. God will provide. Just climb and maintain. Just pray and worship. Just climb and maintain. And if I can leave you with anything, I want to leave you with this. Hear me clearly when I say this. There are people who come in your life sometimes to be there for a season. They weren't meant to be there always. Sometimes we find ourselves hooked up with people that we think are there for a lifetime, but they were only supposed to be there for a season. There are people who come in your life like boosters for a rocket. If you ever watch a rocket go into space, the boosters fall off when it reaches a certain altitude. Some people are not equipped to handle the altitudes that you're going to. So don't be afraid when they fall off. They're not bad people. They just couldn't go where you're going. God bless you, Lakewood. Climb and maintain. Climb and maintain. Climb and maintain. Thank you so much. God bless you.